I thank God for all who have led us in worship today, for our musicians and for Smith starting off our generosity campaign so wonderfully. We're in a sermon series called Galatians Afresh. We're seeking to take a fresh look at Paul's ancient epistle to the Galatians. And today I want to draw your attention to Galatians chapter 3. I'll read verses 6 through 9 from the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of the sermon is Father Abraham. Paul writes, Just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, so you see, those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. For this reason, those who believe are blessed with Abraham who believed. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. When it comes to the question of favorite vacation Bible school song of all time, mine is definitely Father Abraham. There are many wonderful VBS songs, but I just particularly like Father Abraham. I don't know if you know that song. The lyrics are short and simple. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. You sing this refrain over and over again. And each time you add a different motion. First you move your right arm. Then the left arm as well. After a couple more verses, you're kicking both legs and still flailing your arms. Before long, you're nodding your head too, sticking your tongue out, spinning in circles, still flailing arms and legs, all while singing, Father Abraham had many sons. It's hilarious. It's fun. And a lot of people love it. But do we know what it means? <laughs> Father Abraham had many children. I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. What does that mean? Back in Genesis 12, when God first called Abraham, God promised that many children would come from him that his descendants would constitute an entire nation, and that eventually all the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. Sure enough, Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, then Isaac and 
Rebekah had Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And so Abraham's descendants proliferated as promised. By the time of the New Testament, lots of people were claiming to be Abraham's children. Lots of people were saying, Father Abraham had many sons, I am one of them. In John 8, for example, a certain group says to Jesus, Abraham is our father. It's important to understand how a first century Jewish folks viewed Abraham. He was revered as the chief patriarch of the Old Testament and the father of the nation of Israel. Jewish understandings of Abraham especially emphasized his righteous conduct. He was viewed as a spiritual virtuoso. For example, the ancient book of Jubilees states, Abraham was perfect in all of his actions with the Lord and was pleasing through righteousness all of the days of his life. The ancient book of Sirach adds that Abraham kept the law of the Most High and entered into a covenant with him. He certified the covenant in his flesh, and when he was tested, he proved faithful. Therefore, the Lord assured him with an oath that the nations would be blessed through his offspring. So according to this text, Abraham was blessed by God and promised many descendants because he kept God's law. This view of Abraham seems to have influenced the teachers who were leading the Galatians astray. They were saying that Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish people who believed in Christ, had to be circumcised in keeping with the Old Testament law. It appears that these teachers made their case by appealing to Abraham. Maybe they said that Abraham's righteousness consisted of his obedience to Old Testament law, and so all children of Abraham must obey Old Testament law in order to be counted righteous before God. Maybe they said that if you want to be a son, a child of Father Abraham, if you want to sing, Father Abraham had many sons, and I am one of them, you got to keep God's law carefully. These misguided teachers were indicating that Gentile Christians had to follow God's law like Jewish Christians in order to be children of Abraham, in order to be fully accepted into God's family, and in order to be counted righteous in God's sight. It is this line of thinking that Paul directly challenges in Galatians chapter 3. Paul counters that Abraham was reckoned righteous solely on the basis of his faith. According to Paul, Abraham was declared righteous in God's sight, not because of his adherence to the law, not because of his righteous action, not because of his spiritual virtuosity, but simply because he believed God. Paul makes this point by appealing to Genesis 15, where God told Abraham he would have as many descendants as there are stars in the night sky. 
It was a remarkable promise, especially since Abraham was an old man at the time and his wife Sarah was way beyond childbearing age. Nonetheless, Abraham believed God. The key verse is Genesis 15, 6, which Paul quotes in Galatians 3, 6. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. The Greek term translated reckoned has a wide spectrum of meaning but often pertains to the realm of finance and commerce. So it's frequently translated that God credited Abraham with righteousness on the basis of his faith. Paul's point in citing this verse is that Abraham believed God and was accounted righteous before circumcision and the law were even in the picture. Indeed, Abraham did not receive circumcision until Genesis 17, yet God had already counted him righteous in Genesis 15 solely on the basis of his faith. You see, Paul is saying, faith is older than the law, and righteousness is too. Abraham was called righteous on the basis of his faith before he ever performed a single act of the Old Testament law. Paul is showing that Abraham, the quintessential man of God, was justified by faith alone. Paul is showing that Abraham, the father of Israel, was justified by faith alone. Paul is showing that Abraham, the most revered patriarch of the entire Old Testament, was justified by faith alone. Paul was showing that uh, Abraham, in whom all the families of the Gentiles would be blessed, was justified by faith alone. Paul was showing that Abraham, who was considered a spiritual virtuoso, was justified by faith alone. To be justified is to be declared righteous in God's sight. And Abraham was declared righteous on the basis of his faith before the law even existed. Therefore, says Paul, those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. In other words, those who have faith in God are Abraham's children, not those who keep God's law. Paul was arguing that Old Testament law is not binding for Gentile Christians because faith in Christ is plenty enough for justification. Because faith in Christ is fully sufficient for righteousness in God's sight. Because faith in Christ is all that's necessary for full inclusion in the family of God. For Gentiles, to depend on acts of the Old Testament law would be to lack faith in the full sufficiency of Christ, who died for our sin and achieved everything necessary for our salvation. Paul is grounding Christian identity in Christ's work for us rather than our works of the law. And Paul is grounding righteousness in faith. Q. 
keep in mind here that Paul's not arguing against Judaism. He's rebuffing false teachers who appeared to be a group of Jewish Christians that were imposing certain aspects of Judaism on Gentile Christians. While the false teachers were saying that those who do works of the law like Abraham are members of his family, Paul was declaring that the true children of Abraham are those who have faith like Abraham. Abraham's lineage is about faith in God's promises. Abraham's legacy is about trust in God's word. Abraham's righteousness is about faith. Everyone who puts their faith in Christ is just as righteous in God's sight as Abraham was back in Genesis chapter 15. Righteousness is not based on doing works of the law or demonstrating spiritual virtuosity. Righteousness is based on faith. Ever since I was a little boy, people have told me that I look like my dad. They've also told me that I look like Opie from the Andy Griffith Show. But time and time again, people have told me that I look just like my dad. In fact, in the last couple of weeks, multiple people have told me I look like my father. When my dad and I stand together, many can tell that we are father and son because we share certain physical similarities. However, some sons do not bear as much physical resemblance to their fathers. My brother Rick, for example, does not look too much like my dad, but people who know both my father and my brother can see uncanny resemblances in their character. My brother is no less my father's son than I am, although his resemblance might be more in terms of character than appearance. Similarly, Paul is saying that the physical resemblance of circumcision is not the criterion for identifying Abraham's children. They are instead identified by sharing aspects of Abraham's character, specifically his faith in God. But this is no disembodied faith that Paul is talking about. Abraham's faith was evident in his belief and his behavior. Abraham's faith was evident in his conviction and his conduct. To be credited with righteousness on the basis of faith involves more than a transaction. It involves transformation. The Greek term translated reckoned it's not just a financial term, it's also related to the Greek term for word. So for God to reckon someone as righteous is for God to word them as righteous. It's for God to call them righteous. It's for God to speak that they are righteous. And when God speaks, transformation occurs. As theologian Fleming Rutledge notes, God's word is performative. It has the power to create. Indeed, according to scripture, when God said, let there be light, 
there was light. When God said, let us create humankind in our image, humans appeared. When God said to a 99-year-old man, your name is Abraham and you're going to father a child and have many descendants, it happened. When God said to Gideon, the least man in the least clan of the whole entire nation, you are a mighty warrior. Gideon became one. Likewise, when God declares us righteous, God is not only giving us a status in God's sight, God is also creating righteousness in us by the power of the divine word. What I'm saying is righteous is not just what we are called, it's our calling. It's as if God is saying, you are righteous in my sight. Now go by the grace and power of my divine word to become what I've called you. This is the good news of God's grace. That although we are all sinful, although we all fall short, God calls us righteous solely on the basis of our faith. This was God's plan all along. Ever since God first called Abraham and said all the families of the earth all the nations of the world and all the peoples of the Gentiles would be blessed through Abraham. This means that anyone and everyone, each person and all people, even you and I are declared righteous in God's sight simply by faith in Jesus Christ. Through his interpretation of Genesis, Paul changed the conversation about Abraham. According to Paul, the story of Abraham is primarily about trusting God's promises rather than obeying God's law. The children of Abraham are those who believe like Abraham, not those who are circumcised like Abraham. The righteousness of Abraham is found in his faith, not in his law observance. For righteousness is a gift God gives to those with faith, not an accomplishment of the faithful. God calls us righteous because of Christ's work on the cross for us, not because of any works we do to obey the Old Testament law. God calls us righteous on the basis of Christ's death for us, not because of our spiritual performance. God calls us righteous as a free gift of divine grace, not because we've earned it or we have deserved it or we have merited it. A few years ago, my wife Dana called in a carryout order to a restaurant so she could get dinner for our daughters and me. She gave the name Thompson for the order, which is her maiden name. We usually do this because Schoonmaker presents all kinds of troubles with spelling and pronunciation. And when we get there, it's inevitably Spoonmaker or Shoemaker or Schoolmaster or Shona Burger. You should see my T-ball trophies. Anyhow, we use the term Thompson. We, we use the name Thompson for carryout orders so 
That's what Dana told him our name was. But when she got to the restaurant to pick up the food, the woman behind the register could not find any order for Thompson. She checked all around the register. She looked at different bags, and she went and spoke to a couple of other employees there and finally discovered that the man who had taken down the name for the order had written down the name Awesome. She said Thompson. They wrote Awesome. When Dana got home, she told us that the restaurant down the road thought our name was awesome. And we thought that was pretty great. So a few days later, I took Maggie and Nora to a different restaurant for dinner. And when the person behind the register asked for a name for our order, we started smiling at each other. And Nora said, awesome. So I said to the woman, awesome. She began to giggle. And she handed me a receipt and said, here's your receipt, Mr. Awesome. Three minutes later, I'm not making this up, a young man working there walked by with a tray of food. Uh, we're sitting at a booth, and he stops and he says, are, are y'all awesome? I was like, it depends who you ask, but we are tonight. Uh, and then another few minutes later, Maggie and Nora went back to the register to get some chicken nuggets, and I'm not making this up, one of the employees behind the counter said to the other one, those are the awesome kids. We were having so much fun with all this, I really didn't want to leave. Uh, they were calling us a name we had not earned. <laughs> they were giving us a word we had not merited. They were crediting us with a status that we had done nothing to deserve. And friends, it's similar when you're part of Abraham's family. God calls us righteous, even though we don't deserve this word. God calls us righteous, even though we have not earned this status. God calls us righteous, even though we have not merited this designation. God calls us righteous, even though we all fall short of God's standards. God calls us righteous as a free gift of divine grace. God calls us righteous because of Christ's death on our behalf. God calls us righteous because God loves us so very much. God calls us righteous solely on the basis of our faith. God has written down our name as righteous. Not because of a misunderstanding, but because of what Christ has done for us. Faith is credited to us as righteousness, just as it was to Abraham so long ago. And in this lineage, the lineage of faith credited as righteousness, we are truly part of an awesome family. We are truly children of Father Abraham. Yes, I am one of them. <laughs> and so are you, Christian. So let's just praise the Lord.
Amen.